0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. Well, hello, hello, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm not going to do a British accent. That so. might be better, because I thought about doing this the old time, but I don't think I can keep it up. So I'm actually glad to be here this week, because after last episode and the research we did, I thought my brain was going to be fried, but <laughs> yeah, we made it through, and we made it through without much brain damage, 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 damage. So we're here. We're back. We're going to try to give it our best.
1: What he doesn't tell you is that uh, every time I say the word steamboat, he, uh, <laughs> he, he wets himself and forgets who he is for a few minutes. Yeah, I, at
0: least the wetting myself is right. I mean, But anyway, glad to be back this week, and we wanted to let y'all know that we are working on some swag for you guys, um, you know, because we really appreciate all the love that you've shown us and spreading us to everybody and telling everybody about us. Um, the growth is just amazing. So we want to try to give back to y'all and we're looking at doing t-shirts and stickers and maybe even some little lapel pin things that you yeah. can put on your bag or your hat or your lapel. If yeah. you have lapels now, Yeah,
1: right. pretty cool stuff. Yeah. you'd You'd be amazed at what you can get your logo put on. Yeah, I mean, besides like ink pens and coffee cups, yeah. I mean.
0: There's a few things we could get it put on that I'm not going to do that. I
1: know. <laughs> Some yeah. more uh, adult things. Yes. <laughs>
0: so yeah, rest assured, we won't have any Graveyard Tales versions of any of those. Well, so,
1: you know, not on the main site.
0: So. Right. We may have them here in the graveyard, <laughs> but <you know. laughs> I'm going to give me a pair of Graveyard Tales boxers. And just, just says "graveyard" on one cheek and "tails" on the other.
1: That's that's actually better than what I thought you were gonna say. I,
0: I cleaned it up. This is a family show, Matt.
1: I know. My just forward my mail to the gutter because that's where my mind lives.
0: That's all right. That's all right. It could be worse. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode. Let's take a quick break and let's hear from Two Pods, BS Pod and In Poor Taste.
1: Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the believer. I'm Cody. I'm the skeptic. And together we are BSP, the idiot-syncrasy files, the podcast where two idiots discuss weird phenomena. This week
0: we're talking about ghosts.
1: I believe in ghosts. Why? There's too much weird stuff in the world for it
0: to be coincidental. See I don't because ghosts are souls and shirts, pants, and jock do not have souls. These ghosts should be naked.
1: My jockstrap has a soul? <laughs>
0: Moving on. Join us every week where we talk about cool phenomena ranging from... Skinwalkers. To... Simulacra. There you go. Bye! Find us on Google Play, iTunes, and all those other podcasting places. Or visit us at www.bspodphx.com. I'm Don Wrinkle, and everybody's got a podcast. And if you're going to listen to one, In Poor Taste is the way to go. Because it's very greasy. This is Bill Lawyerson to tell you that In Poor Taste is the podcast you should listen to if you want to get sued. Don't think Tim. say are you listen to In Poor Taste. Guess we'll give you a Christmas handy.
1: It's In Poor Taste. It's definitely not a comedy
0: podcast. And it's definitely not educational. And it it's definitely Australian. Stop, Stop asking. asking! Hello, I'm a Giorgio Casadoro, and this is my brother. Fatima. Come on down, In Poor Taste. We'll take him back and polish your jewels. That's us. South Hills, Pittsburgh.
1: Born and raised. Listen is an import taste on the Podsburg network. slash import taste for all of your edutainmental podcast needs.
0: If you guys sit there, will put. All right, everybody. We're back. And what we wanted to do, we've got so many listeners sending in stories, and that's great. That's what we want. You know, we want to hear from you guys and get your thoughts and your opinions and any of your personal experiences. So. What we're going to do tonight is I've got one story that was in the news that I want to talk about, and then I've got two stories from listeners that we'll get into, and we'll read those out. And if it's not your story this week, don't feel bad. We'll get to it, because we're going to try to edge these in as we go along in different episodes. So just keep listening, and if you've sent one in, we'll get yours in eventually. Yeah, eventually. But, yeah, <laughs> never know. <laughs> but it'll be in there. Nah, we just, we'll get it. We just can't.
1: We we appreciate you sending
0: them. Oh, yeah. And we appreciate y'all letting us share them on the show. You know, it, it would be great to get them and just get to read them, but it's even better when we get to share them to all of the graveyard. Right. So the first story I've got is one from the news. And a lot of y'all may have heard about it, but it's the CDC man that went missing. Now, his name is Timothy Cunningham, and he's an epidemiologist at the CDC. Now, he's he left authorities, according to this news report, he left authorities scavenging for clues after he left work early on February 12th and never returned. Cunningham had called his sister that morning and talked to. Talk to her. Suit. Talk to her about his supervisor passing him up for promotion. So he was reportedly bummed, and she said he didn't sound like himself on that phone call. He just sounded weird because he was disappointed and all that, and he ended up going missing and has not been found since. Now. The Atlanta Police Department says this is an extremely unusual set of circumstances. We deal with missing person cases fairly regularly here. The circumstances on this one, just beyond the fact that he's a CDC employee, but as a general person, are unusual. Authorities believe Cunningham made it to his home in Atlanta, but nothing else indicates where he may be now. In the CDC employee's house, nothing seemed unusual and the residence seemed secured aside from two windows being open. They, they go on to say the most unusual fact in this case is that every single belonging that we are aware of was located in the residence. His keys, cell phone, credit cards, debit cards, wallet, all of his identification and passports, anything you can think of, and we've been able to locate it. Cunningham also called out of work sick the two days before the last time he was seen. Now. Chris Torrey, a neighbor of Cunningham's, told the news station that Cunningham made an unusual request a few days before he disappeared. He said he and his his wife and Cunningham had swapped numbers over the weekend, and Cunningham called him over from across the yard the day before he disappeared to ask that his wife take his number out of his phone. And the police department says there's no evidence of foul play. But all of the neighbors and everything, they have gone and they've done, they've created a search party and they've canvassed all the houses in the area. Any of the houses that are boarded up, they've looked in all of those. They've gone down all the trails, the walking trails in the area. They can't find him. Um, He has not spent any money since that day, but he left sick is what he told his supervisor and then just disappeared. His, along with all of his belongings, they found his dog, Mr. Bojangles. I like that name. Um, reminds me of a Simpsons episode. Sorry. Um, but Mr. Bojangles was left at home for two days until his family found him with no care. His family came down on the 14th of February and he went missing on the 12th and they've nobody's seen him since. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is because to me, this is the start of a zombie apocalypse movie, (laughs) you know, a CDC official who he worked on the Zika virus. And the Ebola virus and all that, he was one of the ones in the team that helped to control those outbreaks. Then he leaves work sick one day and just disappears. That's patient zero, guys. That's how it starts.
1: Yeah. It's like, isn't this, isn't this the uh, beginning of outbreak? Isn't it?
0: Yeah. I guess. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. So it's kind of. It's weird to me. It's worried me a little bit, but hopefully they find him and nothing is too weird and we don't have some kind of weird viral outbreak now that he got into while he's working at the CDC and then now he's escaped and it's on the loose, you know?
1: Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? How hard it would be to just despair? I have. Yeah. go, uh, Go completely just... Off the map. Yeah,
0: just vanish. Go rogue and off-grid. I
1: mean, because you got to think, if they've got his debit cards and his credit cards, they've checked his bank account. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they obviously he didn't go drain them. Right. You know, to think that he's got cash. Right. That that would that would have been a clue that he took off. Right. But think about it. No money. No ID. Mm-hmm. Where the hell are you going to go? Right. I mean... You know, you, you got to have some of that stuff, you know, it, yeah, at the minimum to get far enough away where people wouldn't know who you are. And this guy's face has been all over national news.
0: Right. If you're going to if you're going to not just leave the country, but if you're going to leave the city, you need an I.D. If you're driving, you need your I.D. in case you get pulled over, because if not, then, hey, guess what? You're going to jail. You'll turn up there. Yeah, They'll have you there. I think even to buy bus tickets, you need an ID to buy bus tickets. I may be wrong, but, you know. Uh, even if you don't,
1: you need money.
0: Right, right. So,
1: And I would imagine in, I, I don't know, I haven't, I don't know that I've ever actually bought a bus ticket. Right. So I don't know if you'd need an ID, but it seems like in today's climate, you would. You
0: probably would, yeah, to get you know? on mass transit.
1: I don't know. It it seems really, really strange that you know all the all this all these belongings are left behind, and he's just gone.
0: Yeah, the police say they don't think foul play is <laughs> yeah, involved. No, but,
1: uh, no, no foul play. Yeah,
0: but okay, if it's not foul play and it's not some <laughs> weird outbreak of disease that he's got, then what in the crap is it? Right. You know, it's got to be one of those two. I mean unless he just decided hey i'm done and he went and handled something you know but true i mean that, that they just hadn't found him yet right and that would be the only the third option there i'm i'm leaning more toward the outbreak of some weird disease i don't want to be but that's the way my mind goes you know
1: that's you know that's that's the most logical
0: right right <laughs> it's
1: occam's razor right?
0: exactly exactly <laughs> So if y'all have thoughts on it, let us know. what What do y'all think's going on with that CDC guy?
1: If zombie apocalypse is your answer for something, you may need to rethink your theory.
0: No, zombie apocalypse (laughs) is my theory for everything. You know, that's. I mean, have you seen my house? We're we're prepared for the zombie apocalypse here. Oh yeah, bring them on. Yep, I'm coming here. (laughs) All right, so let's get into our first listener story, and this is from a, a listener named Kelly. She said, seven years ago or so, I worked at a doggy daycare. The place was in an old building that had been many things, but most notably, it had at one time been a butcher shop. In fact, there were still racks installed in the ceiling where they used to move the butchered cows around, and the main playroom for the dogs had been where they hung them to drain the blood. The building had always felt creepy to me, but I don't think it was necessarily related to the butcher shop. It was just a dark, spider-filled, generally gross and echoey building. The other three employees and I had experienced many things. Disembodied female voices, music, female laughter, footsteps, doors opening and closing, objects being moved, and the dogs would often react. To be fair, there was a school nearby, and you could hear the kids in the playground yelling and laughing, but the music sounded like an Old West saloon-type piano, and the laughter and voices were decidedly adult and didn't have the higher pitch tones of a child. I don't think the things we heard came from the school. There was a definite difference. We started keeping track in a spiral-bound notebook of the things we heard, making sure to note times and environmental conditions, like how many dogs were present and if the school was in session. And in the space of just a few months, we filled it, front to back. A couple of experiences that really stuck out to me were these. It was the end of the day. I had two dogs left, and I was doing my cleaning up while waiting for their owner. The building had a storefront, then a small wooden ramp that led to a small playroom where these two dogs were, then a set of swinging doors with a larger room that led to the yard. I was sweeping on the other side of the swinging doors when I heard a woman's voice say, You're such a good boy very clearly in a sing-songy voice like you would use to talk to a dog or a child. So I went into the small playroom thinking the owner was here, but no one was there. The dogs were reacting, eyes trained toward the storefront, which was clearly visible from the playroom, separated by a half-door, and ears perked. The second experience happened at noon on a day that I didn't have any dogs. The rule was, if no one showed by noon, we could close up early. So when noon came around, I shut off all the lights and went back past the swinging doors to shut the large garage door that led to the yard. As I was walking through the darkened building, there were no windows and it was a cinder block building, I started feeling uneasy. Nothing too bad, just a little jittery. I shut the garage door and locked it and spun around to head back to the front. I made it about five steps when the dark seemed to get heavier. I can't explain it other than to say... It was all of a sudden more than just natural dark with the lights turned off. It felt like it had substance. The hairs raised on the back of my neck, and I knew that if I turned around, if I looked behind me, I was going to see something I didn't want to see. So I started walking faster. I made it another 10 steps or so to the swinging doors when a voice whispered my name in my right ear, so close that the tiny hairs that always fall out of my ponytail moved so I ran. I got the hell out of there as fast as I could. Like I said, we'd always experienced a bit of weirdness at the daycare, but it was always female and always seemed friendly. This was the first and thankfully only time that I had felt in danger. I actually ended up leaving the job shortly after, unrelated to the ghost incident, and the place burned down a few months after that. So, haunted doggy daycare. I wouldn't work there.
1: not really a place you expect to run into specters or of any type.
0: No, no. But what I did find kind of fascinating about that one is that the dogs were reacting to it. Yeah. You know, and that whatever it was, was actually interacting with the dogs, you know, talking to the dogs and they were reacting with it. So that that was kind of fascinating to me. Um, But we got a second story here, and this one comes from Rebecca. And this one, after we read it, we want to know y'all's opinion on it because she has a question for you guys. This is the My Buddy Doll incident.
1: Oh, dear.
0: Yeah, I remember the My Buddy Doll. Uh, My brother had one of those. And that was, y'all know my feelings about dolls. And that was a weird doll to have around.
1: Yeah, and it? my buddy mm-hmm. my buddy my buddy and me <laughs> yeah buddy <laughs> all right i literally just why that stuck in my head all these years i have no idea
0: cuz you're a goober that's why
1: i can't i can't remember stuff that i really need to remember mm-hmm. but i can recall that
0: yeah you can remember <laughs> jingles from the 80s
1: I, I should be able to run through my brain and hit the delete button on some of that crap that's just blocking
0: up. Yeah, stuff. you should. Because, <laughs> like I've said before, you know, there's a finite amount of space up there. Yeah. And if I learn too much on like one of these sh- episodes that we're doing, I forget how to get home and how to tie my shoe for a while until <clears throat> I can get rid of it. Steamboat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 so she says, in the winter of 1985, I was pregnant with my fourth child who was due on December 21st on TV. They had been advertising a doll called my buddy. This was a doll they had made for boys to play, to play with as they were, as there was another one called kid sister for the girls. Well, my other two boys wanted the my buddy doll for Christmas and asked Santa for them thinking this would be a good idea with the new baby coming. Santa, well, I, got my sons, and I'll, I'll call them J and Z, not one word, but two separate words, not Jay-Z. She's not Jay-Z's mom. Jay-Z
1: and my buddy doll. Boy, yeah. this <laughs> story's getting better.
0: It is, man. <laughs> now, we'll call them J and Z just for anonymity's sake. So, J was five, and Z was three, and she decided to get each one of them one for Christmas. When Christmas came, they were thrilled to have the doll They had wanted. Their new baby brother arrived January 1st, 1986. In February of 1986, I was putting the boys to bed and was giving them what they wanted to sleep with. The boys were in bunk beds, and as I started to hand them the My Buddy dolls, Jay had a look of terror on his face and held up his hand and shaking his head, no, to stop me from giving him the doll. I asked him if he wanted the doll to sleep with, and he replied, no, at night it transforms into a monster and tries to kill us. I tried to hand Z his doll too, and he too shook his head no. I thought I would see what their reaction would be when I told them if they didn't want the dolls, I would give them away, and both boys did not care. This was very unusual since they had both so wanted the dolls for Christmas, and now this reaction? I was not sure what to think. I knew that there there had never been anything on TV that the boys could have seen of... A doll turning into a monster or anything. So I put the dolls in the closet. After I put the dolls up, the boys never had any more problems with them. The dolls remained in the closet until around 1989. At this time, my friend Hope called me and told me I had to watch a movie that was called Child's Play. Y'all remember the movie Mm -hmm. Child's Play? (laughs) She would not tell me anything of the movie, but said I needed to watch it. When the movie was being shown, I turned it on and me and the kids sat down to watch it. Yes, although my kids were young, we would watch scary movies together. And if they had any questions, I would answer them honestly. They never had nightmares either. Well, the movie came on and we watched. And when they showed the Chucky doll, Jay got up, went into his bedroom to the closet and came back in the living room with the My Buddy doll going, Chucky, Chucky. I was floored as the boys had not played with these dolls since they had been put in the closet in 1986. Their experience happened two years before the movie Child's Play had ever been released in the theaters, in November of 88. After we watched the movie, I called my friend Hope to tell her what Jay had done with the doll and how much the two looked alike. Hope said she had a bad feeling about those dolls when she saw them in the store, but never said anything to me because she knew the boys wanted them so much. She says, yes, I still have the dolls, but they're packed away. The incident happened when we lived in Ohio, and now we live in California. And she said, she asked, after sending this story, she asked if anybody else in the graveyard had had an experience like that with one of the My Buddy dolls. And it it's... Interesting, because that that made me think too. Is there anybody else who may have had an experience like that? You know, because they they're creepy dolls. Who knows what could take possession of a doll like that? Because it was quite human-like, right? So we ask all of y'all in the graveyard: Have any of y'all had any weirdness happen around the my buddy doll? um If y'all have, or if y'all have any creepy stories about the my buddy doll. Post them in the Facebook group or tweet them to us, and we'll make sure that Rebecca sees them, and we may have some follow-up stories from her later. So, now, Matt is going to get into the actual topic of tonight's episode. So, Matt is going to get into the Codex Gigas. Now, Matt, what is the Codex Gigas?
1: Okay. Okay. The Codex Gigas is a, is a manuscript that dates back to around the 13th century. Nobody is 100% sure, but based on analysis of the book, they are, are pretty good about knowing this is about the time that it would have been written. Um, but the Codex Gigas is a, a Bible, essentially. It contains the Old and New Testament. Uh, It contains several other works. Um, Two works from Josephus Flavius, uh, Isidore of Seville's Etymologies. It has the standard textbook for teaching medicine in the Middle Ages, known as the Ars Medicina, which is the art of medicine. It has the 12th century Chronica bohemorum which is a chronicle of the bohemians um and it's got a calendar it also contains um, magic spells and instructions on exorcism so a pretty unique collection of works here's what's cool about it after Lots and lots of investigation and research and examination of the materials and the ink and the cover and the style of writing. It's determined that the Codex Gigas was written by a single scribe. Now, this isn't an original work. Monks would rescribe, you know, the text of uh, of holy scripture. To create new Bibles, I mean there there weren't printing presses around this time, so this was a pains taking task to sit down and begin to rewrite the entire Bible.
0: Right? They they kind of used it as like a an atonement for sins or for something like that. Yeah. They would they would rescribe the Bible just to you know. I guess, to kind of help abolish any sins that they had committed.
1: Right. So, But, the, but there were also trained scribes, calligraphers, and, and, and illustrators that this was their job at the monastery. This is what they did. So all of the major written works were re, reproduced by monks. So this particular monastery where the Codex Gigas was written is in what is uh, what's modern day Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. See, I'm I'm not I can't even say the right name for the modern day, yeah. the Czech Republic, um, you know, around the city of Prague. So at that time, this was Bohemia. So just a little bit of information about why the Codex Gigas is so unique. Uh, number one, it's huge. It's, an, it's an enormous book. And, and I'm not just talking about the material contained within. It It, it is a, the the size alone is, is remarkable. The book is 36 inches tall. That's three feet, yep. three feet tall. It's twenty inches wide and it's eight point seven inches thick. And you thought that copy of War and Peace you never got through was big.
0: Right. (laughs) You were complaining about the the fiction that I read sometimes, the Cthulhu book and all that. You were
1: complaining about that being that's another that's another thick book too. Right. Yeah. You could you could knock somebody out with it. (laughs) It has it has three hundred and ten pages. Made from vellum uh which i've seen it, it came from donkeys um or horses i've seen both, but donkey seems to be the 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 yeah. most the most often used um and I even found an a they where it said hundred and sixty different donkeys i'm like how do you how can you tell that but
0: DNA maybe
1: <laughs> all these jackasses in this book. <laughs>
0: And the one who wrote
1: it—that's right. Um, it has uh, originally it had 320 pages, but at some point the the last ten were cut out and you know weren't found. It weighs 165 pounds. So, you know, when you thought that uh, that math book that you had to tote around in your backpack in college was bad, it. Made, Imagine dragging this thing around. You had to have a dolly or
0: something. It's almost as heavy as I am. Yeah, like literally.
1: So, so just just going over that, just going over the idea of of somebody creating a book that's this large and covers this much material. You know that alone is remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's it's not even the most remarkable thing about this book. So. It's called the Codex Gigas. Codex Gigas, in Latin means, wait for it, big book. Right. So or giant know, book. The, the, yeah, mid, the medieval people they they really knew how to name stuff. So <laughs> they were great. At that. Creative. What is this? What are we going to call this big book? We'll call it the Big Book. Um, but it's known by a better name as the Devil's Bible. And so it gets this name because of a enormous color illustration of the devil himself. And he is he is crouching. He is outlined by by two columns, but is essentially boxed in 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 the drawing. And on the opposite page is an illustration of the kingdom of heaven and this is strange because depictions of the devil um were not uncommon but they were uncommon to be in a biblical work right if they were included in a biblical work they were usually very small um sometimes containing a, a face or a head of the devil but nowhere did you ever see a a full portrait of of the devil you know taking up an entire page so you know another another strange thing you know about this book it's uh it's been speculated as to why this was put in there but it, it you know like i said it does give the it does give the devil's bible its name but why why would it be there why would this this author have have put an image of the devil in there, which brings us to why this book is so fascinating. The legend. The legend of the Codex Gigas. The legend says that in this monastery in Bohemia, there was a monk who breached his monastic vows. He committed some sin and it's written that the sin was so heinous that it had to be kept secret. And so the monk, the monastery's hierarchy met to determine the fate of this one monk who had broken his vow. Would he live or would he die? What would, what would his penance be? How could he seek absolution for this sin? Well, the sentence was is that he was to be put to death in a slow, agonizing manner. He was to be walled up alive.
0: Can you imagine?
1: Yeah. I mean, you just, what do you do? You just stand there, watch this guy start laying bricks down there by your feet, Mm -hmm. going, yeah, this is going to suck.
0: Yep. (laughs) And then you're just stuck in a tiny space until you starve to death. That's right.
1: You dehydrate. Yep. You know, begin to wither away. You're in the dark you you're, you're going to go you probably go crazy probably. before you actually die um so a terrible way to die so knowing this this monk said i've got to find a way out of this i don't want to die especially not this way so what what can i do to convince them to, to let me live so he went to the other monks and he said For my absolution, my penance will be to write a book unlike any other that contains the known history of the world and will honor this monastery. And I will do it all in one night. So the monks discussed it, thought it was impossible but he was so impassioned that he could do this they decided we'll let him try either way we're going to get a a magnificent work that will honor this monastery and the monks within or he's going to die anyway
0: right they didn't have anything to lose
1: right so as the story goes he was left alone in his chambers And he began to write. And as he was writing, midnight approached and he knew he was going to run out of time, which means he was going to die. So in desperation, he cried out to Satan that he would offer his soul in return for the assistance in completing this manuscript and saving his life. And the devil heard it. And came to him and completed the manuscript by the by the morning. And that's why the picture of the devil is included to in a way show gratitude for his involvement in completing the book. Now, that's a really cool story. Mm-hmm. But let's kind of dig into the details of this story as to what could be true, what could not be true, um, and and what's still kind of left up in the air. So according to a study done by National Geographic, in order for someone to do this, they, they looked into how quickly a quill could move across a piece of parchment. And they estimated that a human being writing with a quill on parchment could create a line in about twenty seconds, uh, a column you know in about ten minutes, and to complete an entire page about an hour. So at that rate, just for the the manuscript working around the clock. It would have taken a human being about five years to complete this manuscript. That does not include the illustrations, which, as we mentioned, the portrait of the devil, the kingdom of heaven. But There were a bunch of small drawings in there. This book is, is fully illuminated. And if you've ever seen an illuminated text, you may not know that's what it was called, but you've you've all seen one. You When you open up the text, the the beginning letters are very ornate and decorated, often seen in a in a framework with with vines and filigree. And, you know, there's a lot of character there and color. They really leap from the page. And this is done. Throughout the manuscript. So that's why I say it's, it's fully illuminated. Sometimes these letters would take, you know, an hour or more to complete just that. And there's countless, you know, uh, letters and, and illuminations throughout the entire book. And if one takes you an hour, like there's no way. Right. There's no way this could have happened. So extrapolating it out, they estimate that with the illustrations, if a person worked around the clock, it would probably take about 10 years to complete. But that's somebody working around the clock 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which we know can't happen. So, so let's take out the time that they would have spent sleeping, the time that they would have spent eating going to church, performing their other monkly duties. And we're looking at a time frame that lands somewhere between 20 to 30 years for one person to do this. So average out to 25 years, somebody took the time to sit down and start writing and illustrating and spent probably the majority of their life working on this, this one manuscript. And they've studied the handwriting. They've studied the ink. And all of that evidence leads to the fact that it was indeed one scribe. So this is, this is how, this is how they can tell. Um, the inks that were used at that time were very specific. They had Two main types of ink that used two main ingredients they were either metal based or they were uh they used crushed insect nests to create the ink and along with other ingredients to add you know color and to make it smooth, but those were the two main ingredients, and so those are the two things that researchers now can hunt for you know in in the actual in the actual codex gigas. Right. And so it's obvious that insect insect ink was what was used throughout from beginning to end.
0: Right. And it, every scribe had their own kind of mixture, right. you know, that that was specific to them because it's how they learned to make it and that's that's what they would continue to use. So you wouldn't see one scribe switch up how he made an ink halfway through.
1: Right and he's not going to switch up between metal ink and insect ink. I mean, most likely it was an either or kind of thing and and we either did it this way or we did it this way because this is what was available to us in the area where we lived. So it it makes sense that by just by looking at the ink that and that this was just one one person or 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 maybe two or three Um, But nothing changed. So it's written in calligraphy, which was, you know, not uncommon at that time. I mean, that's how people wrote. But it takes a long time, Mm -hmm. you know, to write in calligraphy um, and to get it straight and to correct where you make a mistake. You know, that's going to slow this process down. Um, But they can tell that all of the letters from beginning to end are are so alike that it had to be done by the same hand. So again, that leads some uh, some validity to the fact that they think that this is indeed just one single person. So the question is: Is could this one person have done it all in one night? Probably not. Probably not. But could go ahead. Go well, ahead. Adam.
0: One thing I'm going to say: You were talking about the time that it took for him to do the, the writing and all that stuff. A lot of times what a scribe would have to do is rule the page. So he would have to, before he wrote it out, basically like you've got college ruled notebook paper, he would have to do that himself to each page. And they said it could take upwards, you know, an hour to two hours just to rule the page prior to writing, prior to, you know, anything else being done. So he could spend an hour to 2 hours just getting the page ready to write.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean and that's a that is a painstaking process.
0: You've got to love what you're doing.
1: That's right. Or or you've got to believe what you're doing is for the glory of a higher power. Right. And this is this is what you've dedicated your life to and that's again why monks were the ones that did this kind of work. The book itself just the outside of the book is is very unique as well. It's contained in a wooden folder. It's covered with leather and it's ornamented with metal. Um and we've already talked about the the weight of this thing. Now 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 we're going to put together an even heavier cover, you know, for for such a large work. So there was craftsmanship that had to go into the cover again that takes time that mm-hmm. that's not going to happen in a single night um so you know it, it, if it did it definitely had supernatural involvement right it would have to yeah you know but i think it's easy to say you know the legend is a great story you know probably didn't happen but nonetheless we still have this remarkable work from the 13th century Right. To be able to put together something as vast as this, you know, in, in such a scale, you know, it it's amazing. We so, can
0: thank the legend for bringing it to everybody's attention because right. without that legend, you know, you may not know. It would still exist and it would still be in a museum somewhere, but it wouldn't be as widely known yeah. without the legend of the devil wrote this book.
1: Yeah. And – You know, one theory that I read was very, very interesting because no other work has the uh, descriptions and and instructions and magic spells and all this. The exorcism items, there's no other biblical work that has that included in it. And one theory is, is that the scribe was... Writing a self-help book for himself, right? That he felt like he was, he was tormented, even possessed, and that by writing this, he was exercising his own demon. Um, which is, you know, a, a, an interest, a, an interesting thought. You know, no, no way to really go back and, you know, check that out. But uh, it, it is interesting that all of that information is included as well, right? Um, the one, one interesting thing is even with this legend, uh, the book wasn't forbidden to, to read or to talk about by the inquisition and it was allowed to be studied, you know, by many scholars. Um, they said the handwriting in the book hasn't been found in any other known work. So whoever did this, it looks like this was the only thing they ever did. They do believe that the person that did this was an amateur. And, and as I mentioned before, when Adam and I were talking about the monks and how this might be um, a penance for a sin, it might have been their job. Um, there were trained scribes, trained calligraphers, trained illustrators. This was what they did. You know, They, they had a, a excessive training in how to do this and how to make the letters look how to make the the how to space it correctly, all that. Even though it's remarkable, you know the the illumination of the letters, the illustrations within, and just the length of the manuscript and the calligraphy involved, they can still tell that it's an amateur. It's someone that hasn't been trained. It's a very gifted amateur, but right. an an amateur.
0: Nonetheless, yeah, there were little idiosyncrasies in the text, in the the f- forming of each letter, that showed that he didn't have formal training and probably taught himself.
1: Yeah, and they believe that that many of the the aspect of the legends were were born in truth. However, it's the that large picture of Satan would have been so unique at the time that it's likely that the legend altered the truth so that the story could be told in a more interesting way. Anyone, anyone from the time who looked at this book and, and saw this portrait of Satan would get the impression that this was the focal point of this book, which explains why people would believe that the monk had made a pact with the devil. What many would have failed to see was that the page opposite this portrait, as I said before— has a picture of the kingdom of heaven now a lot of people believe that this double spread um, was most most likely um, a, a symbol of the battle between good and evil taking place on earth and it wasn't anything sinister meant by the monk but something that actually um, was was glorifying heaven you know by showing its uh It's fight over evil. And
0: having the devil, like you were were saying before, having the devil boxed in on the page is kind of more evidence toward that because in a lot of old manuscripts, when there was a picture of the devil, they would show him a lot of times ruling in hell. So he would be surrounded by souls or demons, and this is the only known text to have the devil boxed in. Right on a page, and coincidentally enough, it's across from the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, you know, the kingdom of heaven and the devil fighting, and they've got him boxed in and controlled.
1: And we've got we've got some some photos of of the manuscript and some of the pages and this picture of the devil that um, we'll put up in the Facebook group uh, when this uh, when this episode drops. So that when you listen to it, you can kind of reference what we're talking about. It gives you an idea of of the size of the book and 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 how it's done and how ornate it is, and um and you can you can see this this nice uh, selfie of the devil. So. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, sticking with this about the devil, um, it, it is uh, there's just some some interesting things about about the picture itself. Um, he's pictured half clothed, and he's wearing royal ermine. And now, ermine is a fur, and it does symbolize royalty. And they believe that he's he's portrayed wearing this because he was known as the Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. So it 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 further exemplifies that that dark royalty. And that's, that's why he's shown he, he's, he's otherwise nude, uh, essentially. Um, but he, he is, he is walled up in the cell, just like, um, just like Adam mentioned. Um, and it also plays into the legend, the fact that he's walled up in this cell. And the story is, is that the monk was to be walled up in the cell, um, Using that, uh, the word inclusus, which for centuries people believed that word meant to be walled up, you know, to be, wa- you know, closed up, walled up. In reality, it means hermit or recluse. So there's a good chance that this was indeed one monk's lifelong journey. And that he chose a life of solitude, in in order to do this, right? In order to pull this off.
0: And it, there is in in the back of the book where the word Inclusus is included. Eh, yeah, is um, it has a name, and then it says Inclusus after it. So it would be like if I if I were to sign something, Adam Inclusus, it would be Adam the Recluse. Yeah, and. That's not too far off from the truth because I kind of am. I'm a podcaster. I'm a I'm a recluse. But that's how it was. It was signed.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. I and I did find one reference that called the scribe Herman Herman the recluse. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was the only place I saw it. So I'm I'm not sure if that was just a a fictionalized thing or if that was just the writer of that idea.
0: Yeah. There wasn't oh. a whole lot of information on the, you know, who they thought, because yeah. there's a lot of names in that book. Right. And they, you know, weren't entirely sure if that was him or yeah. not.
1: And and Herman, can you imagine? I, I just met this monk named Herman. Right. It doesn't fit.
0: And it, it's a little too close to Hermit. So Herman the Hermit. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> Peter Noon wrote the Codex Gigas. Adam and I have cracked the code right here tonight <laughs> on Graveyard Tale. <laughs> <laughs> uh but but as it's, as we said yeah the identity of the person uh who wrote the codex gigas it, it is unknown and they they don't have anything that specifically points to to any individual um and and without any other works that match the handwriting they can't attribute it you know, via another work that this particular scribe may have done. Of course, he spent 25 years writing this one. So, I mean, wouldn't he wouldn't have time to do yeah, anything else. He, maybe he had a collection of short stories that he, you know, put out right before he died or, you know, something one of the other monks published posthumously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Stole his work.
1: It's like one of my favorite authors was Michael Crichton. He keeps coming out with books. He's been dead for years. I don't understand. You know, yeah. how do they how do they do Pseudonym. that? Pseudonym. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about a little bit about how the the Codex Gigas got to where it is today. Um, in 1594, the Devil's Bible was brought to Prague from the Brahmov Monastery, where it had been kept since the year 1420. King Rudolf II asked to borrow the Devil's Bible, and he promised the monks that he would he would return it when he was finished with it.
0: Yeah, see, I knew guys that would borrow stuff and say, <laughs> I, I'll return that. I was waiting. I was waiting. I had a, I had a Nintendo 64 back in the day, and a buddy of mine said, hey, man, I'm going to go off to college. Can I borrow it for the semester, and I'll bring it back? He still has the Nintendo 64. So, James, if you're listening, I would like my Nintendo 64 back. <laughs> I realize how long it's been. But you still have my Nintendo yeah. sixty four.
1: So when you when you flip to the back of the Codex Gigas, there is a card back there, and King Rudolph the Second's name is the last name written on that card, and his fine is like four hundred and twenty seven million dollars.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think they're getting that.
1: <laughs> oh man, you thought you thought returning that you know copy of uh, Lord of the Rings was gonna. Set you back when you yeah,
0: it, <laughs> at the it, library. It still will.
1: <laughs> yeah, you ever dug around in your house and been like, oh, crap, this is a library book.
0: Yeah, I did that moving houses one time. I found a, a book from when I'd lived in Texas that I had borrowed from the library, and it somehow moved two or three houses with me, moved states away. So they're not getting it back. I still have it.
1: Adam Adam has the information on on where the Codex Gigas is now, and it's not directly in front of me, so I'm going to let right. him tell
0: you. All right, so it it moved around, it changed hands a lot. Um, Queen Christina of Sweden had a habit of stealing books from other nations as like war prizes, and she would use them to enhance her own country's library. So she had books from Poland, Germany, the Baltic states, Denmark and a whole bunch of other things that were on her bookshelf. Now, after the book was snatched from Prague and shipped back to Sweden, the Codex Gigas was kept at the Royal Castle in Stockholm. Now a fire tore through the castle in 1697 and the Codex Gigas at that time was thrown out of a window to prevent it from being engulfed in flames. Now, It got damaged by the four-story drop, but it did survive. There's a story that one person standing beneath the window was said to have been injured in the process, but they think that may have just been a tall tale. But the Codex Gigas, after that, was rebound in 1819, and those damaged leaves were repaired, and the restored manuscript is now currently on view at the National Library of Sweden in Stockholm as a part of the library's treasures exhibit.
1: Yeah, sure. and it's it's so big that they had to build a specific podium for it because it's so heavy, 165 pounds. Remember, they threw this out of a window.
0: Right. Um, Can you imagine standing under that?
1: Yeah, that's like throwing a man out the window. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's that's a lot. Um, but even to, to open it. And to turn the pages and to allow it to, to fold open like you would a large book, it has to be on this specific stand mm-hmm. because it, the, the weight of it, just you, you couldn't do it otherwise. Right. You, know, you, you couldn't even get it open and flip through it.
0: And on this stand, they have it displayed with the page that everybody wants to see. So when you go to see it, it's open to the portrait of the devil and the picture of the kingdom of heaven. And one thing we didn't talk about, I don't know if Matt, you have it in your notes and if I'm, I might be jumping ahead here a little bit, but that page with the devil on it and the page across from it with heaven on there is dark.
1: And yeah, that's right.
0: And they, a lot of believers use that to say, well, this shows the power of the devil because he's burning the pages. And it's actually been shown that that vellum that they use is light sensitive and it it's kind of like photo paper mm-hmm. if you allow photo paper to get hot or you you know expose it to bright light it's going to change color and that's what this vellum has done over the years because where are you going to turn every that's time right. you open the book you're going to turn to those pictures and everywhere it's displayed it's displayed with those pictures open so the lights the fluorescent lights the sunlight everything is just darkening these pages where all the rest of them are the normal vellum color, and so that that's kind of been debunked. Even though people still try to say that that's yeah. proof that the devil reigns within this book,
1: right? And and it's covered with it. It, it has a custom made shroud that covers it to protect it from light and moisture and anything else that might damage mm-hmm. the the text itself, um, because. I mean, it, it's old, and you know, vellum, and and those type of inks, you know, they are they are not really designed to withstand this length of time. So it, it had to be cared for, and especially in the in the modern era where you know pollution is so bad,
0: right? In the it's not sunlight; it's fluorescent lights. Right? And fluorescent lights will do damage to text quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, They they take great, uh, great steps in uh, in protecting this so that, you know, it'll be around for centuries, centuries for people to study. Um, But my take on this is even if even if this is not even if it's not true, even if this is legitimately the work of of one individual for however long he had to work on it. It's. It's outrageous.
0: Yeah, it's still an amazing work.
1: It's a, it's above and beyond anything of the time or anything since. You know, just the sheer magnitude of the text that it holds. Right. The size. I mean, I don't know why. If you're going to start writing a book, that you're going to say, "I want this to be as big as possible." Yeah.
0: Let's make you know, this three feet.
1: Three foot pages. You know that. That's where I'm going to go. God, if I, if that's your starting point, holy
0: cow. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there is, if you're interested in reading any of it or seeing any of it, and you don't want to go to the, the museum and see it, um, there is a website that if you search Codex Gigas, there is a website that has every single page on there that you can read online. And they do translate it to english for you so you can read it and if i can find it again i'll post that link in the show yeah. notes so that you can click on that and go read up on it besides looking at our facebook group for the pictures that we'll post
1: yeah because it is it is written in latin so right um which was which is very common
0: my latin is very poor yeah too, you i know.
1: took i took two years of latin in high school
0: yeah i, I took spanish I,
1: I couldn't i couldn't read this thing
0: no no, if it's not Spanish or English I can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> Lo siento.
1: But, you know, an an amazing work and it and it is it is clouded in a lot of mystery and legend which made it more attractive to Adam and I to at least touch on. And even though there's not as much information out there about this as other topics that we researched, we thought this was really fun and really unique and Amanda really wanted me to research this <laughs> so uh so I did yep, and there and you it, go. and it is i mean it is it it's such it's such a a unique thing you know that's that's a part of this world yeah. regardless of how it was produced we know that it's old enough that it wasn't just manufactured off a of printing press Right. And we know that and you know everything about it is just it's just amazing. And, you know, even to the point that the the legend went on that the book was cursed in some manner. Mm-hmm. Um It was moved um, from one monastery after some financial hardships. The original monastery. And it was moved to another monastery where it was put on display in a cemetery. And. While it was there, th- these people just started noticing, hey, this a lot of bad stuff happening to us. And so finally the high bishop said, send this book back to where it came from. We don't want it. Mm-hmm. And they did. But the damage had already been done, and that monastery that housed the Codex Gigas in their cemetery everybody there and around died from the bubonic plague. And that monastery still stands today empty with all the bones of these monks that died during the plague. And so the book, at least at the time, was attributed to bringing the plague, you know, to that area. Now, you know, modern researchers know that bubonic plague was everywhere right you know it 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 tormented most of europe you know
0: but at the time you know with limited knowledge of science and everything like that it was anything like that was blamed on something supernatural you know a curse or whatever and you've got something there that's got a giant picture of the devil in it and what are you going to say well this didn't happen until we got the Devil's Bible here, That's so right. it has to be the yeah. fault so of the it's Devil's got, Bible. It's
1: got to be this this cursed Devil's Bible, right? Which
0: did not do anything but extend that myth and legend about the the book,
1: right? Right. So, pretty cool topic. Uh, I really enjoyed getting into this and 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 reading. There is a there is a really good um, by, uh, documentary. Done by National Geographic on this book if if what I researched has interest you then go watch it. It's not very long, it's maybe about forty five minutes long. um it'll fill in a few of the gaps that that I may have left out um, just you know for the sake of time um but it but it is it's a really interesting thing, and these experts as they as they go through these pages and they investigate. You know, how could this have been done? Why would it have been done? Could it have been done by a single person? Um, I think mm-hmm. we pretty much determined it wasn't done in a single night. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's
0: called the Devil's Bible and yeah. you can find it on Netflix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so go look that up. Um, but if anybody has, uh, has ever looked into this or researched it, um, you know, get in touch with us, put us, uh, put a post in our Facebook group and, um, you know, we'd, we'd like to know if you know something that we haven't covered, uh, talking about it tonight.
0: Right. Or if Uh, you've been over there to see uh, it, let us
1: know. We're, we're going to post these pictures, um, so that everybody can kind of get an idea of what this thing looks like and see this, this portrait of the devil. I've seen it so many times. It, it kind of haunts me now. Right. Um, Cause it's you know when when you see it, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. This That's is a creepy picture. It's creepy. <laughs> I kind of thought like it looked like a kindergartner's rendition of the devil.
0: Yeah, it, it's a different drawing than most of that time period.
1: Yeah, but uh, it's still pretty creepy looking.
0: Right. So, so what what we're gonna do next week is gonna be a little different and. If it goes well, if we like it, if you guys like it, then we may throw it in from time to time. What we're going to do is Matt and I are going to go off on our own and we're each going to research a separate topic and not tell the other one what it's about. And then day of the show, then basically I'm going to teach Matt and you guys about what I researched and Matt's going to teach me and you guys what he researched. That's right. And... So it'll be a little bit different. It'll be kind of fun for the two of us, and hopefully y'all find it enjoyable, too.
1: Yeah, Graveyard Tales 101. There you go. So um, so that's going to be next week's episode. Right. So y'all can look forward to that. But coming up, and we posted about this in our Facebook group and on the Graveyard Tales Facebook page. So we are going to do... A sequel to our Urban Legends episode, which has been one of our most popular, right. if not the most popular. And so we thought, this is going to be fun, so let's look into a few more Urban Legends. But we want your help. We're some needy dudes, man. We we are all the time asking for y'all's help. Yeah, no Send kidding, us stories, right? give us ideas. We're not going to do anything but talk into the mic. You're <laughs> going to do all the work. Now, Um. If you know of an urban legend that is either one you've heard in the past, there's an urban legend from where you live, whatever it is, put it out there. Um, We might pick yours and, and research it and present it on the show.
0: Right. We'll pick a few a piece like we did last time.
1: Yeah, just like we did last time, we're you know, Adam and I have got several different ones that we're going to research and then we'll we'll present them to you for your consumption. Right. Um but we're going to we're going to need your help. Um so so send us send us those urban legends. We we want to hear them. We we want to have fun looking them up and and the scarier the better. You know, if if you got if you got one that uh just really makes your butthole pucker up when you tell it, mm-hmm. then that's the one we want to hear.
0: Yeah. So. the We want the pucker factor, pucker factor high. <laughs> Man, I almost screwed that up. Almost had to put a beep in there.
1: Uh, oh.
0: But yeah, send it to us an uh, email graveyard tales podcast at com, Or like Matt said, you know, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Yeah. So We hope this was an interesting topic for you guys like it interested us. And we will see you guys back next week.